Good morning. Is everything good? Okay. I'm deeply honored that I would have the privilege and the responsibility to continue leading us in worship this morning through proclaiming God's Word. And just at the outset, I'd like to say that I count my membership here at North Wake just another evidence of God's grace in my life. Week in and week out, my family, we show up and we drink deeply of the goodness of God. I think that's a a direct reflection of the deliberate pastoral care and shepherding that our elders and our staff uh, give us um, all throughout the week. And so uh, elders and staff, I know the congregation would agree with me, but I just say thank you. I thank you that you are faithful to love God well enough that that would influence the ministries and your leadership over our, our souls. And, um, and so I'm, I'm very, very glad to have this opportunity to speak to you today. Today we're going to be continuing our series entitled Connecting the Dots. And what we've been doing is we've been following uh, God's mission. What is it that God is up to throughout all of Scripture? And today we're going to land in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Jude. And so Daniel wasn't kidding when he said to be praying for me. Um, but in following God's mission, it would be a good place for us to start by defining that. And Larry has defined it as this. There, there we go. The Bible tells the story of the loving God, or I'm sorry, excuse me, the, the Bible tells the story of the loving and awesome words and deeds of God to redeem all of his creation, especially his wayward and sinful people from among all peoples, for his name's sake. And so I think it would be appropriate today for us to to reflect and maybe answer a few questions. Because of our study over the past few months, do you have a better grasp of the mission of God? You don't have to answer out loud. Last uh, service was kind of awkward. Some guy did. And so... uh, You don't have to answer out loud, but just reflect. Do you really have a better understanding of what God is up to? I think maybe the more penetrating question for us today is, has that made a discernible difference in your life? What would your spouse say? Or what about your children or your co-workers or your neighbors? Would they be able to say, that because of our times together, and because of the knowledge that we have, that we know and we are joining God on His mission. I just want to call us today to remember what is growth in godliness. Growth in godliness does not end in knowledge. No, growth in godliness, the result of growth in godliness, is proper worship. It's when we begin to live out what we know. And so just at the outset, let me just encourage you, as we go through these four books today, I ask the Spirit to just break in on our lives, not so that we would learn something new and and leave it at that, but so maybe we would gain some insight into God's Word, and that would make a discernible difference in the way that we live our lives. And I just want to remind us, in case we've forgotten, what's at stake here isn't whether or not we know something new isn't whether or not we can go out and serve well. What's at stake is the glory of God. 
Because when we live out what we profess to believe, we are displaying God's glory well. And on the same, on the flip side of that, when we fail to live out what we confess to believe, we display something else about God's glory. And so before we get started, uh, if you will, just pray with me that God would break in and just have his way with us today. So let's pray. God, we are in desperate need of your Spirit's assistance today. As we seek to turn our affections and our attention towards you, God, I pray that your Spirit would allow us to wrap our minds around the truths about you. But God, I also pray that your Spirit would begin to to soften up the soil of our heart so that, that real fruit may be the product of what we know. God, it's just my prayer uh, this, this, for the past few weeks, my prayer for now is that whatever we've come into this room expecting you to do, God, I, play, I just pray that you would blow that up. And I pray that we would see you rightly. And God, I pray that we would respond properly to who we see. God, may your glory and your renown be the desire of our hearts. And today we do, we just want to say thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. The fact that he stood condemned in our place. That he bore the full wrath of, uh, your full wrath, so that we wouldn't have to for sins that he didn't commit. God, that he has given us his righteousness. And after dying was raised to life three days later. It is in this great God that we place our faith. And it's in his great name that we ask these things. Amen. After spending the 2006 Thanksgiving holiday in Seattle, Washington with family, James and Katie Kim, along with their two daughters, Penelope and Sabine, made their way back to their home in San Francisco, California. They were traveling without a map, And they were going to stop at the midway point, which would have been Gold Beach, Oregon. Because they were traveling without a map on their way to their destination, they missed the exit, taking them from Interstate 5 to Oregon State Route 42. Not realizing this until they were a little bit down the road, um, the fear that they would run out of gas prevented them from turning around and getting back on the right exit. So they decided to take a secondary route, uh, which which would take them around the Wild Rogue Wilderness, which is a remote area in southwestern Oregon. And as they continued driving, they encountered heavier and heavier snow as they increased their elevation. Then again, by mistake, they turned onto an unpaved logging road. After driving a little bit down that road, it was early Sunday morning at this point. Fatigue had set in. Bad weather was preventing them from going any further, and so they decided to stop. They stopped in order to keep warm. Uh, James and Katie Kim would burn all of the magazines that they brought with them. They would try to find as much dry uh, firewood. They would eventually end up burning the tires on their car to stay warm and hopefully signal to someone who might be looking for them. Rescue, Rescue efforts would begin four days later after they were stranded. Seven days into it, on December 2nd, James Kim decided to leave his family and to go find some help. He promised his wife that he would return, even if he found none, uh, by the end of the day. 
And sadly, James Kim would never return to see his family again. Two days after James Kim set out to find help, Katie and and their two daughters were rescued. And many interviews followed uh, this tragic story. But two themes began to emerge from these interviews as Katie would, would relive this horrific experience. And she would say that not having a map and not having enough fuel were two of the main reasons that the Kims did not reach their destination that night. Not having a map and not having enough fuel. First, second, third John in the book of Jude will offer us the same counsel today. Without a map and without enough fuel, we will not reach our destination as well. And so now that you're all like, my Bible says nothing about a map and a tank of gas in these books. You see, in a certain respect, truth is like the map. And love is like the fuel. Truth tells us where it is that we need to go. And love is the way that we get there. And let's, let's be clear on one thing today. All four of these letters will say the same thing. Not truth at the neglect of love. And not love at the neglect of truth, but both truth and love are the marks of authentic faith. They are the marks of genuine Christianity. And so if you have your Bibles with me this morning, turn to to 1 John. In the New Testament, it would be the second John, but it is 1 John. That's because the Gospel of John was first. Okay. And today, I would like for us just to pay attention to these these two themes. This theme of map and fuel. This theme of truth and love. And see how these themes shape the message of these letters. And be challenged about how they ought to shape the way we live. 1 John was written by the Apostle John, uh, who also wrote the Gospel of John, to a specific group of believers. And we find this... In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, and I think I'm on the screen. These things I have written to you who believe. And so in John's letter, we find that he's writing to a group of believers, and he's writing for the purpose to give them confidence in the faith in which they have. And he goes on to say that I'm, I'm writing to you who believe I'm writing to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And so some false teachers have crept into the situation here. You've got a congregation who has been taught the truths, the gospel truths about who God is and and who Christ is. And you have these false teachers who have come in and have been giving conflicting messages. So the congregation is confused. And John is writing and he's saying... Hey, believers, understand, there is a way to know whether or not what you're holding on to is is the real thing. And so John, in this letter of 1 John, he doesn't attack, it's not a harsh attack on these false teachers. Instead, this is a very pastoral letter in which John comes, comes alongside of this congregation and he encourages them to stand firm in the truth and to live lives that testify to the truth that they know. Did you get that? Because if you miss that, you're going to miss the point of the message today. 
John is encouraging these believers to stand firm in the truth and to live lives that give testimony to the truth that they know. He doesn't say stand firm in the truth and it doesn't matter how you live. He doesn't say make sure you're living right and it doesn't matter what you believe. But he says stand firm in the truth and make sure that you're living out what you believe. And so I would encourage us, the same applies to us today. If you're here today and, and maybe you're going through some issues and you're going, what do I do? I would encourage you to listen to the counsel of John. Stand firm in the truth and live a life that matches that. I pray that we would allow the Spirit to close up that gap between maybe what we profess to know and really the way we live our lives. Larry challenged us last week with this, but again, this is a, it's a, a clear message uh, in the book of John um, that we would shore up what we believe. Sorry. John, first John, in his letter, he, he will call these believers to remember three truths about who God is. And these three truths are that God is light, that God is righteous, and that God is love. And instead of, of sending this congregation who's confused about whether or not they know they're holding on to the real thing, John says, I'm not just going to send you a list of, the, of tests, and then that way you would know whether or not you're of the real faith. But he says, I want to remind you of truths about God. And if you're believing rightly about God, then you will live rightly in response to that. If you believe rightly about God, then you will live lives and, uh, that match that confession. And so, again, the same counsel is applicable, applicable for us today. If you're going through problems, it's easy to just begin to turn to the list of things to begin to do. But I just want to encourage you today to maybe pause and to fix your gaze directly on who God is. And I even would encourage you, as people come to you with problems and issues and difficult seasons of life, I would encourage you to maybe not be so quick to give them the list of things to begin to do, to put into practice, but really come alongside of them and say, hey, are you seeing God rightly? Because if you see God rightly, you're going to live properly. A.W. Tozer says this, Wow, we're all over the place. A.W. Tozer says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is inadequate. If we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as He is. And John gives a hearty amen to this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at, at these, these three truths about God. And, and for the sake of our time today, we're only going to look at the first and the third one. So we're going to look at God as light, and we're going to look at God as love. But I want to encourage you this week as you read through 1 John to really pay attention to the fact that God is righteous. And because He's righteous, that ought to inform the way we live our lives as, as well. And so he begins by saying that God is light. 1 John 
chapter 1, verses 5 and 7. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, then we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, God is described in light all throughout Scripture. We see in the, in, in the psalm, Psalm 104, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with the light, as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. And so light is going to describe the purity and the majesty and the holiness of God. But also God's word is described as light. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. And then Jesus Christ will come on the scene in John chapter 8. And he'll say, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And so God is light. And these false teachers that John is addressing were coming along and they were saying, believe the right things about God, but that really isn't going to make much of a difference in the way that you live. And John said, this is absurd, church. This is foolish. And church, hear this today. No matter what we say we believe about God, it is foolish for us to think that that isn't going to impact the way in which we live our lives. It has to. And so what John does is he says, because God is light, let's, I'm going to give you a, a couple of tests and just see where you would identify. Are you marked with light or is the consistent flavor of your life one of darkness? And so because of time, I'm just going to read what, these, what the Word of God says and ask us a simple question in response. We see in verses 6 and 7 of 1 John 1, if we say that we have fellowship with Him... And yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so, hey, church, are you walking in darkness or are you walking in light? I'm not asking, do you show up in light on Sunday? What about every other day of the week? What is it that characterizes your life? Is it light or is it darkness? And John's message is very clear. You want to know that you have authentic faith? You will walk in the light. Second test that we see, verses 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, hey, church, are you denying your sin problem? Or have you confessed it? And experience the cleansing that comes from Christ. Again, John is clear. You want to know you're in the faith? Those who have confessed their sins and have been cleansed are in the faith. The third test we see in chapter 2, verses 4 and 6. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word... In him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So the question for us, are you disobeying the word of God? Or are you walking in the same manner as Christ walked? And just to remind you, Christ walked 
obeying the will of the Father. So again, where do you find yourself? John says, you want to make sure you're, you have the authentic faith? Walk as Christ walked. The next test we see is verses 9 and 10. It says, the one who, who says he has light, or the one who says he is in the light, and yet hates his brother, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And so, is there hatred in your heart today towards any brother or sister in Christ? Or do you love the church? And I don't mean like the concept of the church. Literally, look around. Do you love one another in this room? John's message is clear. You want to know that you're in the faith? Hatred will have no place in your heart. And then the last test he gives us is in verses 15 through 17 in chapter 2. He says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And so church, what is it this morning that's gripping your heart? What has your soul arrested? Is it the things of the world? Or is it the will of God? Again, John is very clear here. You want to know that you're in the faith? The will of God will be what grips your heart. And so, in summary, what we find here is that John is just basically saying, is the behavior consistent with the confession? If God is light, and if we would say that, if that's what we would confess, then John says, you want to know that you're in the faith? Then are you living lives that reflect that? You see, in each one of these scenarios, the right doctrine was confessed. We have it where it says, if he, he who says he's in the light, or he who says he loves God. And the same, that, man, the same truth is, is applicable for us. It doesn't matter how much of the right thing that we can say. It's all void if that confession isn't found in the way that we live our lives. And so does this mean that we're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Does this mean that you're, you're still going to struggle with sin and it's going to be a battle? Most definitely. But again, the issue at hand is what is the flavor of your life? Is it one that's marked by the light? Or is it one that is really just overcast with dark? Prominent theologian Mark Lederbach puts it this way. Your stated belief plus your actual practice equals your actual belief. Your stated belief plus your actual practice equals your actual belief. And so church, God is light. And in Him there is no darkness. Are you seeing Him rightly? Is, is the fact that He is light, does that make a discernible difference in your life? I mean, I, my prayer for us today isn't that the Spirit would come and convict us and we would just be discouraged. And we would go, wow, you know what? God is light and yet, wow, I've got a lot of pockets in my life that might be dark. 
I pray that if the Spirit does convict this morning, that it would be a conviction that leads us to repentance. But man, we have no right, being children of God, to allow the Spirit to convict us and yet walk out defeated. Because as Daniel read to us earlier, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so there is victory in Christ. If you would say, there are a lot of things that I confess, but yet maybe they're not consistently lived out in my life. I pray that the Spirit would lead you to repentance. But do not leave here defeated. Calvary has given you victory. John will not only say that God is light, and therefore your life ought to reflect that. He will say that God is righteous in 1 John 2.29, but for sake of time, we are going to not look at that. Uh, Again, I would encourage you to go back and read it. But the third truth that John makes in his letter is that God is love. We find this in 1 John 4.8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so in the same way, John doesn't begin by giving this congregation a set of tests, but he begins by saying, hey, remember that who God is. Remember that God is love. And because God is love, this has to inform our lives. And so what are the implications for us? Well, I think they're pretty clear. John's argument is this, beginning in verse 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so if we're going to understand anything about love, then we have to understand what the love of God is. And John tells us that the love of God was made known to us in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And church, this is good news today. The good news today is that your creator has now become your redeemer. The good news is that when your sin separated you from fellowship with God, the one thing in which you were created for, God didn't leave us there. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life. And at the end of his life, he would stand before the Father condemned. He would stand in my place condemned. He was my representative substitute for the sins that I committed. He committed none. He would bear the full wrath of God, which was rightly due you and me. He shielded us from the wrath of God. He received the wages of our sin in our place. And in his resurrection, he conquered death. And so, church, today, the encouragement for us is, are you doing whatever you can do to make sure that this fact about God's love is still arresting your soul? Are you taking measures daily to put these these truths before you? Church, we have to. God is love. And if we're going to know anything about love, we have to first know about the love of God. 
John reminds us that we don't love God first, that he, should, that he loves us. Church, I don't know about you, but this has to evoke some kind of response of praise and worship within us. The only acceptable response to truth that God loved you enough to give his only son so that you may have life again, the only, the only acceptable response I can think of is one that says, God, here I am. Do whatever in the world you will with me. And God, that's even not enough, but it's all that I have. Church, is, is, is that your attitude? Is that your daily cry to the, the reality and the truth of God's love? It's got to evoke a, a response of praise in us. But John doesn't leave it at that. He goes on to say that we ought to love one another. How can we, who have been the recipients of such great love, how can we not love one another? In, in chapter 3, verse 18, John will encourage, he says, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's not enough to go around confessing that you love everybody, that you have love. John says, you want to know that you're in the faith? Make sure that your life is reflecting what you're saying. This week, this truth broke into my life uh, at about 12.30, 1 o'clock on Wednesday, uh, Thursday morning, Wednesday night. As I was praying over uh, the message and just asking God to do a work in, in my heart, uh, I had had one of those days where I really just didn't want to be bothered. I don't know where uh, I think that that's maybe a right that I have. Um, and so I didn't want to answer the phone. I didn't want to do an email. And that even reflected the way in which I interacted with my wife. And throughout, all throughout the day, I can remember telling Jackie that, that I loved her. Um, but yet, as I was thinking about this, what marked my life towards my wife that day was just an attitude of indifference. And God just broke in and said, Justin, do not, war, do not love with word or tongue, but love in deed and in truth. And so... At one in the morning, I had to go wake my wife up, and she had no idea what was happening. Um, and I just had to ask for her forgiveness. Because all too often, I find myself saying one thing, and yet living out another. So church, do you know the love of God? If you do, is that making a difference in the way that you live? Is it making a difference in the way that you love. May we not be a congregation that says that we love and yet find that so empty in our lives. But really, may the fact that we love, may that just be the mirror that reflects our confession about who God is. So John's given us a tight argument in this first letter to ensure that, that these believers would have confidence that they belong to God. In the midst of these tangled truths and, confl and conflicting commands that this church has, John puts out a call and says, You want to know that you're in the faith? Then is your life consistently marked by the light, by righteousness, and by love? And church, I would ask you the same. Is that the dominant mark of your life? That you walk in the light, that you pursue righteousness, 
And because of the great love that you have experienced, you give it wildly to others. The second and third letters of John were written by the same author. And both of them, again, are, are going to address these two themes of map and fuel, of truth and love. Second John is written to a congregation who was doing well at having the map, at holding the map. And John encourages them, hey, don't forget about the, don't forget about the fuel. Don't forget about the love. And third John is written to a congregation and, and, and really... Uh, John highlights two guys in this congregation. One guy who is exemplary. I mean, he's in the car. The man's got a full tank, and he's got a map. He knows where he's going. His name is Gaius, and the other guy, Diotrephes, is a guy who is not commendable in either of these things, truth or love. And so we see Second John, verses 4 and 5. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth. And so there, John is full of joy that this congregation that they have the map, that they are sound in their doctrine, that they know what they believe, they know the truth. And he continues, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, referring to the church, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we do what to one another? Wow. Let's try that again. That we do what to one another? Yeah. That we love one another. And then third John, writing about Gaius, the one who is exemplary in both truth and love, John says this, For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your what? Truth. Testified. You have the map. How you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your what? They've testified to your love before the church. This man's exemplary. He's got the map and he's got the fuel. What John does in these two letters is he, he weds these two concepts of truth and love. And the temptation for us today is to divorce these two. And to say, you know what, I, I tend to be more along like the knowledge thing. We're, this church, they're kind of like the truth church. Or on the other hand, you know, I tend to be a little bit more loving, don't really know what I believe. But tend, or this, truth, this, this church, they're kind of out there in their doctrine. They're not sound in truth, but man, they love really well. John says, you know what, you don't get and or. If you're in the faith, your life is marked by truth and by love. People who want to spread truth, but yet live loveless lives, find that people reject their truth. And the one thing that they want to spread, which is truth, doesn't get spread because they don't love well. And people who want to spread love and yet compromise the truth, in the end, they don't serve love because they destroy lives. And so John says this, biblical love is oriented towards truth. And biblical truth teaches in love. Did you get that? Biblical love always stands on the truth. Biblical truth is always motivated by love. And so these two letters clearly 
there is a wedding of these concepts. And, and so maybe the question for us today is, is, are these the marks of your life? Are you, are you sound in the truth? Man, I wish, we were, I wish there was some avenue that maybe the church had where we could go and we could be trained up to be sound in doctrine. Oh, wait, there is. Life change. If you're, today, if you're here today and maybe truth isn't um, where you're sound, I encourage you, man, take advantage of the grace of God uh, in our life change classes. And maybe if you're here today and you say, you know what, I just don't love well. I mean, I say I believe all this stuff, but I just don't love well. I really would encourage you uh, to understand that you don't believe all of this stuff if you don't love well. And so then we reach the book of Jude. Jude is the last book. Jude is the brother of James. He's the half-brother of Jesus. And we find in verses 3 and 4 of what the purpose of this letter is all about. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our, our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. And so again we see that there is a congregation and Jude, is, he wanted to write to them just concerning, just let's have a good old letter about our, our salvation. But yet he can't do that because false teachers have crept in and they're sending mixed mess- messages. And likewise, Jude will say, you want, to contend, you want to contend earnestly for the faith? He spends his letter saying, if, if, the, if that's the case, then either one of two things are going to mark your lives. And he begins by by talking about the characteristics of those whose lives are not marked by faith. And he says in chapter 8 that they defile, or in, I'm sorry, verse 8. Look for the 8th chapter of Jude, you will not find it. Um, He says in verse 8 that they defile the flesh. In verse 16, he says that they follow after their own lust. Later on in verses, uh, one more. Later on in verses 12 and 13, he will say, Uh, that they are like clouds without water, that they are like autumn trees without fruit. In essence, they're barren and hollow. And then at the end of of verse 13 here, he says that the black darkness has been reserved forever for these people without faith. So Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith because there are some, no matter what they preach to you, there are some who live immorally, who deny the truth, whose lives are hollow and barren, and who will receive punishment. And those are those who are not in the faith. But going back again to what Jude says in in verse 3, he says, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly. Contend earnestly for the faith. Jude will also give us characteristics of those who, who are in the faith. And he begins by saying, contend earnestly. And this idea of contending earnestly, uh, it's the word word for contend, the word we get, our modern day word for agonize. And so it's this athletic word, this strenuous word. And so if you will, imagine with me your favorite athlete. I have one of my, I have a picture in mind of Michael Jordan. Obviously his shorts are really short, and so this was a while back, um, He's also playing basketball, so this was a while back. But if you notice, everything about Michael Jordan in this picture, every muscle in his body is engaged. 
It's almost as if every nerve, his concentration, there is nothing that Michael Jordan is doing right now that he's not earnestly doing to dunk the ball. And Jude will say the same thing. You want to contend earnestly for the faith? Then you have to be engaged on every level. This isn't, you don't contend for the faith by, by, by not, uh, by abstaining from a list of bad things. No, you contend for the faith by agonizing, taking desperate measures to make sure that you are sound in your doctrine, to make sure that those that are around you are sound in their doctrine, that they are sound in their truth, that they have a map, but yet that they're also fueled by love. Later on in, in the book of Jude, Beginning in in verse 20, Jude ends his letter and he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And, And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by their flesh. And so Jude gives us a picture of what the life looks like of one who is without faith. But he also gives us a picture of what the life looks one of what the life looks like of one who is in the faith. And he says they, they contend earnestly for the faith. He also says that they build one another up. Uh, there is no way that you will contend for the faith by tearing others down. And so, church, I just ask you, are you building up the body? He also says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Again, you want to contend for the faith? We have to be men and women who pray. So church, how are you doing at just finding time alone with God in prayer? Maybe a more applicable question would be, how are we doing when we gather? When we have opportunities to gather on Sunday night, praying as a body. Is that, is that even a priority to your family? You want to contend for the faith? you want to live a life that reflects the faith in which you confess, then we will be a church that prays well. He also says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Basically, live obedient lives. We keep ourselves in the love of God when we do His commands. So again, church, are you you being obedient to the Word of God? And lastly, he'll say, have mercy on some. Is the love of God that you've experienced, does that compel you to have mercy on others? Does it compel you to share your faith and to share the truth with those who don't believe? Does it compel you to love others so that we may display God's glory well to those who are watching? And so truth and love, these two themes mark each one of these four books that we've looked at today. I think the question for us is, are they the marks of our lives? Are you marked by truth And are you marked by love? As the music team comes up, the story of the Kim family is a tragic story. You see, for James Kim, having a map and having fuel might have saved his life. God's Word tells us that being marked by truth And being marked by love 
That's the evidence of a life who's been saved. And so there's been a lot of application to think through in these four books as we've opened the fire hydrant and just let it go. But I would just ask you, if the Spirit is prompting you about any area in which maybe you, your, your doctrine isn't sound, maybe you don't know the truth that you ought to know about who God is, or maybe you're just not loving others well, I would encourage you during this time of, of response through song, we will have elders and staff down at the front. If you need prayer, make your way down. If you're here and you're like, I've heard a lot about this love of God, but yet I've never experienced it. Well, the reality is you're going to frustrate yourself by trying to do something, by trying to love others in a way that you can only love after having experienced the love of God. So church, are you walking in in darkness or are you walking in light? Are you loving others well? Are you contending for the faith? I would submit that if we see God rightly, there is no other response than to do that. So if you would stand and let's praise our great God.